Good morning. I'm so glad to be here today. Thanks for letting me be here. It's been a great weekend. And uh, I, every time that we get to come here or you get to be in Rhinelander, I just so appreciate the relationships that we have. And, um, and I am encouraged every time I'm here, and I, I hope you feel the same. So, uh, so I wanted to share a little story this morning, and um, forgive me if I get a little bit emotional. It's something that I went through as a child, and uh, it's a little difficult to get through this story, but I think you'll understand, and so just bear with me. But um, I wanted to share, I thought about the Miller family a lot. Where are they? Yes, I thought about you a lot when I was thinking about this. This is my soccer story. They've spent the weekend you know, basically life is soccer for you right now, right? So I wouldn't have been on their kids' team. I'm just going to say that. Because the team that I was a part of in fourth and fifth and sixth grade, the reason why I was on it is because nobody got cut from that team. So I was there purely out of pity, okay? So uh, the parents had to show up and, and watch us play, and it was painful at times. And they always put me in the back, you know, guarding the goalie because, you know, when you're in fourth and fifth grade, there's not that much action to guard the goalie. And so I had a rare opportunity to ever have the ball. But there was one day, one day, and someone was sick, or I think they had the chicken pox, actually. And my coach said, Christy, I need you to play forward. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm good. I'm going. I got this. And um, then the next rare thing happened. I actually got the ball. It was very exciting. So here I am. I have the ball. There's a wide open space. I'm going. This is awesome. And what do I hear in the background? But what I hear is people going, no! Yeah, you know why it's emotional for me now, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't realize that where I was headed was my own goal post instead of the opposing team. So the other team cheered like crazy, you know, but I was running away from where I needed to be. And what I love about this Jonah series, um, that we're at this point in the series where we get to actually see Jonah running with God instead of running away from God. So now he finally, you know, he's gone through all this stuff. And for those of you that have been here for past weeks, you kind of know Jonah's story, or if you've been in church a little while, maybe you know a little bit about him. But, you know, Jonah had a fairly comfortable life. Um, he was respected. He was in a good position. You know, he, from the, the uh, young age, he listened to the voice of God. That's pretty cool, right? He knew the voice of God. He was a, a leader. He spoke on behalf of God's people. And then all of a sudden, his life got interrupted, right? So God says to him, I really want to send you to a place where you won't, you're not going to want to go, to people you don't like. They're pretty bad. And what does Jonah do? He decides, forget it. You know, this is just too much. I have had enough in my life, and I, I, I'm going to start over. I'm going to take off. I'm going to run. But God, and as we've talked about a lot in this series, caught Jonah, right? And it's messy, right? So God, in all of this, he chose to take one individual and give him a second chance. And that's kind of where we're at today. Before we get into Jonah chapter 3, and if you're looking at your U version, you can follow along with these scriptures. Um, I want to look at the, the last verse of chapter 2, which is chapter 2, verse 10 in Jonah. And I alluded to this yesterday. I know I'm weird, and I'm okay with that. But I was that kid in class that, you know, in biology, and you take the, you know, dissect animals to see what's inside. 
I liked that. I know, I can't play soccer, but I have brains. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, I was, you know, dissecting these, we dissected fish, right? And the inside, when you look at the inside of a fish, there's some pretty amazing stuff. And then some of it's really gross. I mean, fish guts, no matter how you look at it, they're not pretty, right? And so um, here's Jonah in chapter 2, verse 10, and here's what it says. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Boy, that's a great picture. Awesome. I talked to Janet Espeset this morning, and she said one time she was teaching about Jonah at a kid's camp, and um, she set up containers of tuna all over the front of the stage and um, sardines and all this kind of stuff, and one kid took off throwing up. Like, wow, you know, for the sake of the gospel. Man, that's awesome. But um, to be honest, you know, here's Jonah. Uh, it's hard to relate in some ways to his life, but he got swallowed by a big old fish, right? And when he's up on shore, what does he look like? He is covered in fish guts, right? So this is where we find Jonah at this moment in time. This is where our series starts for chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Well, he gets there. Jonah chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. So get that? Uh, same message, same, same sort of thing that we've talked about before, but here's a second chance. Okay, at that very moment in time, God could have completely given up on Jonah. He could have said, you know, I, I saved your life. I threw you up on shore, and um, you smell like a big old rotten fish. But I'm sorry, you can no longer have the position you had in the past. I gave it to somebody else. No, God didn't do that. Uh, he didn't take him out of the storm and said, now you can go be a turkey farmer. Okay, if you're a turkey farmer, I'm really sorry. That's probably a low blow. Is anyone a turkey farmer? Okay, good. We're good. So it would have been like for me in college um, or pre-college days, I worked in the factory that my dad worked at. And uh, I really think my dad's reasoning of wanting me to work there was so that I would go back and finish my college degree. So I made candy bar wrappers for a living. Yeah, that's kind of like Nineveh. So, um, you know, I was recollecting how many years ago that was this morning, and I realized how old I am when I was like, oh, yeah, that was just a few years ago. <laughs> All right, I have a 19-year-old daughter. Let's face it, it's been a while. But I think I still have that green ink underneath my fingernails from working there. It would be like God said, I got you out of this storm, but you have to go make candy bar wrappers for the rest of your life. Nope, that's not what God did at all. But God's grace and compassion picks up right there in the story. It should have been left off, right? And here's what happens. In verse number 3 of chapter 3, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. Now, remember, this is exactly the same message God had given Jonah in the past. He didn't even change his wording. He's just like, here it is. Go, right? Um. And here's where I want to send you. I just want to remind you of what this place is going to look like. Nahum describes it as a bloody city, complete, full of lies and pillage, you know, uh, abounding in chariots and horsemen, charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming. Do you think now that Jonah's been given a second chance, he's like, yeah, I want to go there? No, no. But yet God called him there. He said, you need to be obedient and you need to go. Has God ever said to you, I'm going to give you a second chance, but I'm going to give you the same message. You just need to be obedient and go. 
This time Jonah obeyed God's command, and he went to the city of Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to get there. Can you believe that? Three days, that's a long journey. I have kids, and road trips sometimes are just not fun. Right? Three days journey to get to a place you don't want to go. And then he shouts to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. <laughs> Here's what I love. So um, if you are a parent or you have had a sibling, you have been in this situation, but you know that situation um, where you find yourself or you find your child in, and you, have, you tell them they have to say, I'm sorry to someone else. You know, like for our house, like you decked your sister, so you have to go apologize. Well, my favorite is when the apology goes something like this. I'm sorry I hurt you, but I was right and you were wrong. Right? So, or I'm sorry I hurt you, really not sorry. Like, you know that tone of voice. I think that's kind of how Jonah went in. He's like, forget it. Uh, I'm going to apologize, but I don't really mean it. So Jonah has to go in and, uh, and give this message. It's, it's a harsh message. It has no tact. And it's not like he said, hey, I'm going to go and think about preparing for this culture, this context that I'm going to. I'm going to try to relate to these people. No, he just kind of spews it out there. And he says this, you know, 40 days from now, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. So there. But I have, I have to think he was so surprised by God's or the people's reaction to that, right? Even in his grumbling and complaining, okay, fine, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to listen to God. God did something miraculous. Here's what happened. It says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, and he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes, and the king and his nobles sent their decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herd and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even when yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Well, shoot, you know, Jonah's going in, he's going to be obedient. And then what does God show up and do? You know, perhaps the greatest revival of all time. He says eight simple words, and what happens? An entire nation repents. What happens for us when we find ourselves walking in obedience, even if we don't want to, because we're listening to the voice of God? What can happen for us? We can be just like Jonah. What if? Carrie Halverson decides this week and says, you know, I'm going to listen, I'm going to obey, even though I don't feel joyful or I'm not going to embrace this, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's what God says. And then all of a sudden, the city of Barron shows up repentant and, and turns from their evil ways. This could happen. Because that's what the God we serve. When he gets a hold of us, and even if the emotions aren't quite there, when we walk in obedience and we share simply what he asks us to share, we can be like Jonah, and hearts and positions, lives can be turned. I think it's so interesting that Nineveh responded to God exactly the opposite of Jonah in chapter 1. He heard God and he disobeyed. They listened and they changed course. 
In verse 10, it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he was threatening. All right, that blows all of my categories. Did, did the word just say he changed God's mind? What? How in the world does that happen? It happened because one person decided, I, I might not feel like it, but I'm going to obey, and I'm going to speak the voices of, or voice of the Lord. I'm going to speak the word of the Lord. And then, regardless of what I want to happen, what God is going to do, he's going to do. And what did God do? He created what's credited as probably the greatest revival of all time because of one person's actions, one begrudging person in obedience. You know, albeit he probably smelled like fish guts at the time, so really what choice did he have? He walked in obedience to God. Sometimes I think obedience ends in surprising results. I hate going to the dentist. Anyone can appreciate that? Anybody say I really love to go to the dentist? I don't think so. So I've had three children been in labor three times, I'd rather give birth to a fourth than go have a root canal. I hate being at the dentist. However, I also recognize that sometimes in our life we go through kind of spiritual root canals. We have to go through things that we would rather not and walk in obedience. And um, at times it looks a little bit like fish guts, but we have to utilize those opportunities because this is God helping us to do the right thing. Obedience rarely brings joy. It typically brings um, something completely different. It brings this built-in mechanism that all of a sudden, um, you know, when you think you're all that, that you realize you're not. It's this built-in humility. It's this, this uh, selfish nature. You know, I've talked about before. <laughs> I thought I was extremely selfless when I got married 23 years ago. I mean, really, the most selfless person I've ever met. And then I got married. Ugh. All right, maybe I have a little bit of selfishness, right? So when you get in close relationship with others, you realize, you know, you stink sometimes. And then you have kids. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's the ripple effect. God has a way of humbling our selfish nature, our self-will through obedience, not to beat us down or not to shame us, but for us to grow. So what do we gather from this Jonah chapter 3? As Jonah is running with God, he actually knows the goalpost to go to. <laughs> Our actions affect God. What? That's so crazy. I mean, if I were God, I would do things completely different. I wouldn't trust humans because we're flawed, right? Maybe you're not. I know I am. <laughs> this crazy theological idea that what we do could influence God's actions on behalf of not just us, but of others. That's pretty amazing stuff. Over and over, you read in the Old Testament about times where God says, forget it, I am going to put my wrath on these people. And then one righteous person comes along and says, on behalf of these people, please don't. And God faithfully responds, on behalf of your coworkers, on behalf of your family, are you willing to walk in obedience? 
not just for yourself, but for someone else. God looks around for people that he can strengthen. He's looking to act into our lives. These interruptions, let me tell you, they're not comfortable, are they? The more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize uh, I put a lot of conditions on my faith. You know, all of a sudden, if my comfort is affected by it, I'm not sure I want to do it. Right? But God doesn't ask us to be comfortable. He asks us to be obedient. What else can we gather from running with God? Well, you can gather this. Uh, he uses flawed people. You know, um, interestingly, I've looked at this passage my whole life, and thanks to Jana, you know, and her foresight and having the, I didn't put any tuna on the stage. I, I thought about going to get it between services. But when I think about grace, and we talked about this a little bit last week, when I think about grace, I don't think about beautiful songs that we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I don't think about wall hangings that say, you know, God's grace is sufficient for me. Yes, those are beautiful images. Yes, we should sing these sorts of things. But when I think about grace, I think about fish guts. I think grace is pretty messy. I think when we get ourselves into Jonah's position and all of a sudden we find ourselves and we're wrapped in a whole bunch of seaweed and we smell pretty bad, that's when we recognize the grace of God. Because you can't help it. God doesn't waste anything. He will use every moment of your life if you allow him to transform you and to transform others. You know, as Chad was working on this message, I thought it was interesting, and he said, you know, there's like about 3,000 people mentioned in the Bible. There's only one that's perfect. That's Jesus. God doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to be obedient. Another big lesson that I think is important for us to look at today, we learned from Jonah chapter 3, is God's word can bring life. You know that first part of the book of Jonah, and he says, then the Lord spoke? And then we look at it again today, then the Lord spoke. These words in this book actually bring life. You know, I was thinking this morning, we have friends that are missionaries all over the world. We have friends that, um, that can't have a Bible in their homes. How many Bibles do you have laying around your house? How many of you open any of those? You know, Chad said this morning he had to decide which of the four Bibles in his backpack to carry into church today, right? We have digital technology. We can have our Bibles on our phones. We, can, we have this at our disposal, but do we use it? Every Sunday we gather in churches, our comfortable chairs, and uh, we recount these stories of Jonah, of redemption, of grace, of the fact that God's word is powerful enough that in eight simple words, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, an entire nation repented. This is the power of God's word. We can't know it unless we're in it. God's word to us changes our lives. These stories are God's stories. They're about sin and redemption and fulfillment. They're about people who ran with God. I want to challenge you this morning. I'm not trying to beat your head and say, man, I just, there's not a lot of depth in the church these days. Nobody's reading their Bible. It's not about that. 
But it's a privilege to read this book. It's a privilege to know this God. And I'll tell you, the thing that keeps me up at night is misrepresenting who this God is. I want to know him in any way possible. I want to do that by being in community with people like you. I want to do that by having genuine relationships where people ask me the hard questions. I want to read this when I'm by myself for nothing more than the fact that I want to know who this God is because I want to represent him well. And that's my prayer for each of you. What's so important about this book? It shows us who Jesus is. It shows us his character. It shows us how he operated in the world. This book helps us to see beyond ourselves. This book teaches us uh, about ourselves first, but it also says it's not about you. It's about serving other people. God's word helps us to have the big picture. I'm going uh, to you know, meddle a little bit here today, and I got some great feedback after first service regarding this. But I know for myself, if I look at the course of my day, if I take a time lapse of everything I've done throughout the day, and I look at how much time I've actually spent in the Word compared to how much time I've spent on Facebook or watching CNN, it's not real proportional. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to skew our worldview and to start to see things through a different lens because that's what we're filling our minds with. The Bible paints a big picture. It's an eternal picture. Our worldview is formed by man sometimes, and we get into this trapped thinking because all we see through is the lens of Fox News or the lens of Facebook or whatever that might be. And I don't mean to meddle here this morning. I'm just being truthful. What are you filling your minds with? We need to feed our minds with truth every day. You know, when I look at the news, you know, over the last six years, I've had this kind of, I want to say epiphany. You know, it's, I think it's appropriate to say that. But I've had this change in how I view things when it comes to the news. Now when I look at the news and I look at, you know, um, awful, awful situations in Texas and, you know, Florida and all of these different places throughout the world, you know, my first reaction isn't to see the devastation. My first reaction is to see how people respond to that devastation. And let me tell you, there's some great things happening in our world. When you choose to see how people respond, or you choose to look at these things and say, how am I going to respond and how am I going to change because of this? How will I help someone else? You might find yourself not so depressed or anxious. In other words, let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not just think about these things that are here on earth. We have to focus on the eternal. We have to free our mind from destructive thoughts. Uh, as Chad was preparing this, uh, this message, he, he came to us with a, a recent survey from Great Britain. And it made me sad, and it also made me hopeful, because we can be a part of the solution for this. It's that 30% of parents don't know who Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan, that they were from the Bible. 30% of parents. But 27% thought Superman is or might be a biblical character. Interesting, hey? One in three believed the same about Harry Potter. 
you might find Harry in the Bible. 54% of parents believe that the Hunger Games is or might be a story from the Bible. I'm telling you, we're living in a time and a place where we may be the only Bible that people see. And I'm scared to death that we'll misrepresent who this God is. I'm scared to death that the God that we portray isn't the Jesus who, who identified with the marginalized, who said he was there for those who are poor in spirit. I, I want to represent this God. I want to represent a Jesus that was willing to lay his life down, that understood suffering, that bestowed grace on us as messy as it is. I want that to be my life. I want that to be a reflection of who I am. And let me tell you, that's what our world needs. Jonah was willing to walk in obedience. He was one man. And even though he did it begrudgingly, his eight words when he listened to the voice of God and changed an entire city. What happens if you listen and you're obedient even if it's not comfortable? What are the possibilities? You could change your immediate family. You could change your church. You could change your community. You could change your state. You could change your world. I'm going to ask Chad to come forward here in a little bit. I know that today hasn't been a traditional, man, I just, I really want to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a good job. I want to tell you to obey. Even when you don't want to, I want you to, to dig deep and, and spend this time this week, not just looking at the word for yourself, but how you can portray this Jesus to your community. And then watch what, watch what God can do. I wanted to close reading from Colossians chapter 3, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, we, we, live in an, we do live in an age where the, the word of God is more accessible than it's ever been. Uh, yet it is probably more absent in some cultures than it's ever been as well. And I had the privilege uh, this, this summer at kids camp to do a little... Uh, we were we were doing a missions night thing, and I had to do a station for ten minutes on on the persecuted church, and so I I created a little setting, and um, I created this Bible page that that was representative of of some of the cultures around the world that maybe have limited scripture or only a part of the Bible. They don't have the whole Bible, so the the storyline was that. We were a small group of Christians that had one page because we split the rest of the Bible out to the other churches. And as the kids came in, there were three guys outside the door that were kind of asking them a lot of questions. And they came down into the basement, and I had them hide their Bibles and hide all their Christian stuff. And we started to, we started to work through this scripture then that Jesus talks about being blessed as, as a persecuted believer, blessed you know, for... for believing. And in the middle of our little Bible setting, then these three guys burst in and they start tossing the room and they start asking questions and they start, you know, um, we heard there's a Bible or part of a Bible down here. And it was really interesting because we did this, I don't know, eight, seven or eight times. And in every moment, the response was different. So uh, one time they came down and, and the guy said, we heard there's a Bible page in here. Who has it? And one of the girls says, she does. 
And, uh, you know, okay, well, that happens. Another time they came bursting down, and um, one, of the, one of the younger kids just begins to sob because she could feel kind of the, the anxiety of this moment of, of, like, well, this actually happens to people. And, um, and I, had, I had a couple of those pages left, uh, extra ones, and I, I decided to put one in my, in my wallet. Um, it's really interesting. I just made this on the computer. I didn't actually tear a Bible apart. Um, but I spilled coffee on it and burned the corners and made it look like it was uh, legitimately authentic. Do you, know what, do you know what this always does? It tricks me because I feel, like, I feel like there's money in my wallet, and I'm like, oh, I need a cup of coffee. And, and every time I reach in and I, I start to pull it out, I'm like, oh, that's not money. And it's a constant reminder to me of the value of God's word. Now, that was kind of an unintended consequence. I can't say that I thought that through. Um, but it happens often. Like, oh, that's that scripture from us learning how important God's word is. The flip side of that is, as Christy mentioned this morning, I get up early. And I'm going to come to church, and my backpack is heavy. I don't want to take it all. So I start to reach in, and I pull my tablet out, and I, I've got a couple books in there. And I pulled four Bibles out of my backpack. And I set, set them on the desk, and I thought, which, which one? Which one's the lucky Bible that I get to take to church today with me? And the call for us is, see, with that, those, those passages in Jonah, it really was eight words. I don't know, was Jonah belligerent? Probably I would have been. I'd been like, okay, God, I'm just going to do it because I don't want to know what's going to happen if I don't. Um. But when we use God's word in timely ways, amazing things can happen. And so one of the biggest challenges for me, actually, now hearing the sermon twice, is, is this personally, Chad, what, what message is God speaking to you that you need to live out? Uh, because I believe God puts something in all of our lives that if we live out, we could have great effect in the people that we are around for the kingdom of God. So let's stand together. I'm going to invite Audrey and Joe to see to come back. And I just want to end with, with Paul's words from Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 as we stand. It says this, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you're called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Jesus, this morning we look to you and we know that you have, you have called us according to your purpose and you've equipped us to do things on this planet that are, that are for the, the, the furtherance of your gospel and for the expansion of your kingdom. God, we know that when we go into workplaces, Lord, we just don't go to get a paycheck, but we, we get to go there to be an ambassador of you. When we, when we go to school, we don't just go to, to, to pass and, and to move on to the next grade, but we go into the school to be an ambassador for you. When we are with our family, God, we don't we don't just look to get through a day and make supper, but, but Lord, teach us as, as moms and dads, as, 
as grandparents, as, as uh, children, Lord, that, that our goal in the family is to, to make sure that the other people in our family know about you. And God, your words can dwell in us that richly, Lord, that, that we, we can affect people around us. So Lord, help us to tune into that this week. And as we now turn our hearts towards you and as we, as we have an opportunity to lift up your name in these next few minutes, Jesus, would you, would you truly fill our hearts with, with the richness of all that you are? In your name we pray. Amen.